Welcome back to another episode of Lessons for Tomorrow, a conversation between industry experts providing insights from the past to apply in the present to achieve success in the future. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com, and joined today by Nick Goodrum. He's our Accessibility Practice Team Lead and Director of Front End Development. Nick's played a key role in the adoption and advocacy of accessibility, ensuring that AmericanEagle.com clients have an inclusive website for all. Since starting with AmericanEagle.com back in 2009, same year I started, Nick has been involved in a large number of projects, including the American Dental Association, the Chicago Auto Show, Rustoleum, and the American Red Cross, and many more. He enjoys educating on best practices and modern techniques around accessibility, page loading, and user experience. And let me tell you, those conversations on user experience, he and I have had many debate, and at the end, he's always the winner. <laughs> Nick has been a champion for pushing accessibility forward by encouraging clients to be proactive and up-to-date on the latest requirements and best practices. Welcome, Nick. Uh, welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, uh, the motivational poster in your ear. I guess if you can see this, it's headphone here. I'm your guest host, Nick Goodrum. I'm the director of accessibility here at AmericanEagle.com. So we're going to be diving into this episode. We're going to be diving into some different topics with a lot into the accessibility space, uh, digital marketing, quality assurance, and to help with that whole entire and so many more things. But to help with that conversation, I am joined by uh, remotely our guest speaker from Sight Improve, Kevin Reinberg. Welcome. Welcome aboard. All right. Thanks, Nick. It's great to great to see you again. Yeah, I know. We've been we've been uh, on the different kind of conversations. We've been interacting with each other for quite some time. So it's great to always have you aboard. So yes, you are the managing accessibility consultant at Site Improve, and you are responsible for guiding and supporting businesses and organizations on their journey to create accessible websites. It's just poetry kind of aspects here, but. The key thing is, is you got 20 plus years of experience in this space, uh, doing all kinds of things across multimedia, web development spaces, and you're also doing a lot in the enterprise redesign and the accessibility aspects is kind of the major focus. So you've been a critical partner for site improved customers when it comes to creating successful and sustainable accessibility programs. So folks, he may know a thing or two about what he's talking about. So I uh, appreciate you joining us. And so let's kind of dive into this, right? So you are at Site Improve. That is a whole entire kind of tool set. If you can kind of get a sense of, you know, it's like, I, you know, I've, I've been around with it. I've interacted with it for a while. And a lot of it is recognition for the accessibility side, but there's a lot more to it. And there has been a stronger focus in sort of the digital marketing space. So can you kind of explain, you know, a little bit more about that kind of tooling and how it kind of ties into the digital marketing world? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, thanks for the great introduction, but uh, let's let's talk about the tool for a few minutes. Let's talk about Site Improve, the company that I'm with. Uh, we have a great suite of tools. Uh, it's very low maintenance on the user end. It's essentially log in and start looking at information. And there is a lot of information to be had, whether it's analytics, SEO, quality, as we talked about, yeah. a full inventory. Where does everything live? And then, of course, the I guess for me, the crown jewel is the accessibility functionality. So uh, all of these tools work together, tie together, share information, and uh, give you a very great holistic look at all of the different activities that are going on in your site. So it's so much easier to make decisions now, marketing decisions, budget decisions, things like that, based off of actual information and feedback than it is to try and guess. 
Yeah. And so speaking of kind of that analytics aspect, right? So that really helps with the decision process. I yes. know it's, it is kind of always been a discussion point when we talk about accessibility, but how do you use analytics to help with your kind of accessibility process when you're like helping educate clients and things like that? Because that is a common discussion point, right? Clients are often kind of going like, you know, how can I engage these things? How can I know what to prioritize? How do you see that when you're kind of educating your clients? And that, that really is the key is learning how to prioritize, understanding where am I going to get the most bang for my buck? Where do I focus my energies now? And so, yeah, with uh, with some analytics feedback, knowing where your visitors are going on your site is going to really help you focus on those higher traffic areas. Uh, and when you think about that from uh, uh, an accessibility point of view, the majority of your users are hitting those pages. So as many of those pages that can be, you know, the accessibility problems, among other things, being addressed, the less opportunities for problems, for complaints, for issues that are going to keep coming up because your users are going to have success in their journeys through your website. Yeah, because it's kind of the idea, you know, and I've talked with many different clients myself where it's just along those lines when there's so much information, there's so many worries, right? There's a huge laundry list of things to do. And they're just like, I don't even know where to begin. And so, yeah, it's, I often kind of talk about, hey, you know, that one page from that you've kept around since 2001 for some reason, and no one ever accesses, it's like that has problems, but hey, let's focus on the more pervasive ones or the ones that the pages that actually users are actually going to. What do you do for feedback? I know it's kind of, it's beyond just tooling alone, but when we talk about getting feedback and getting information from you know people with disabilities aspects like that when you help educate clients like what do you kind of talk with them about about you know gauging and where to focus on right how do you get that feedback that information right. well the best feedback obviously is coming from your website visitors one of the best mechanisms that we recommend right off the bat you may call it a first line of defense from the complaint side of things from accessibility, but having a comprehensive accessibility statement on your site and a mechanism to be able to contact your folks and say, hey, I'm having difficulty downloading this document. I'm unable to complete my shopping cart experience here. And then having that type of feedback and response to that feedback directly is a great starting point as companies are starting to build out a more robust accessibility program where they're moving from reactive to proactive. That's going to be another thing that we want to help companies focus on is accessibility has always been reactive mm. and we want to start putting people in the mindset of this is a proactive thing that we can do from our template design all the way through to again, having feedback mechanisms. So if there is a problem, we can address the problem as they come up. Yeah. No, and that is commonly overlooked, right? And I've seen ones where they, they even put in like a contact form, but the contact form is inaccessible. And so it's like, do remember, if you, if you do provide contact options, make sure that people can actually use them, right? But yeah, I, I think part of it too, right, is just always being clear that you can't really be 100% sure, okay, there's not really an analytics way to say, oh, you're using a particular screen reader, or you're particularly magnification software. I mean, sometimes Correct. magnification tools could literally be just a physical device or things along those lines. So really being able to get that type of analytics isn't as realistic. So that's where, as you were kind of saying, right, you know, get feedback from your users, give right. them opportunities to, to kind of share and collaborate in a sense. So no, exactly. that's, that's good advice. So the tooling, right, from Site Improve has lots of different options, lots of different things, including the analytics, everything along those lines. Is this a pattern that you're seeing across like just different industries? Is there a bit of consolidation or is it, you know, 
because for a while there, I was always seeing, you know, a bunch of different tools where it's like, I just do one thing and I do one thing only. Is there something that you're seeing in the space that kind of says like, no, it'd be better to just have it in one area? Well, we're starting to see that movement towards that. Uh, there are companies that are coming together and partnering. We partner with uh, other tools as well as agencies like yourselves. And so what happens is we start to build that more of an internal stack of tools or by providing some of the additional functionality that we have in our tool, you're able to move on from a different vendor and uh, you know repurpose that money. Uh, more times than not, it's really about who owns what, okay? Accessibility uh, is multidisciplinary. The web is multidisciplinary. We seem to forget that sometimes where it's either a market-driven or an IT-driven initiative, depending on the type of business, but it's really a shared discipline across all of these different areas. We have content owners. Let's look, let's look at higher education, for example. We have content owners that are in a college department or you know an office that are responsible for updating that information. But IT owns the servers, yeah. marketing owns the templates, and pretty soon it's always somebody else's problem. And by starting up this consolidation like you're talking about and getting everything into a single point of information is really starting to be effective so that A, teams can collaborate, B, teams can consolidate, or C, we're starting to see the development of things like centers of excellence for mm -hmm. accessibility, where there is that single source of truth, the folks that own the templates, that own the component libraries, et cetera, and people know now that they can go to those experts and, and rely on that. So we're seeing a lot of those different kinds of trends, Nick. It's really about the most efficient way for the different teams to consolidate amongst themselves. Yeah. And it is something, you know, we, we have to think of the times as well, right? So there is also this aspect in present day where there is a lot of, okay, well, you know, budget, right? A lot about the fiscal aspects to it to say, hey, there is a little bit of turbulence at, at times. And, you know, there are, in especially at least in the tech space, there is a lot of uh, uh, people being kind of pushed away, trying to do budget cuts, trying to figure out those things. And so, uh, you know, I've also seen sometimes where it's like, hey, you know, rather than paying for like 40 different tools, having it all in one place does have some benefits. But we were even seeing that beforehand with like PIMS uh, for in the e-commerce space and areas like that, where it's just like, OK, having a single source of truth really does make a difference. Because, again, like you're saying, everyone gets to kind of when you have 20 different teams, how do you know they're actually on the same page? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that consolidation is going to continue to happen. Um, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing those trends. Uh, the biggest thing is still, uh, you know, and, and we probably would talk about it sometime during the, the conversation today, but education is a huge part of it. Again, multidisciplinary. Everybody has their own aspect of responsibilities. If I'm a content person, I certainly don't want to get into RE labels because I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with an RE label. But if I'm a developer, I'm not going to mess with that heading structure. That's none, that's none of my business. I'm not responsible for that. So really the education uh, for the different teams uh, and the different roles becomes very important. And so, again, part of that consolidation process may be to break things apart a little bit and then bring them back together in a more organized structure. And you mentioned, you know, centers of excellence, and that is a kind of growing trend. And, you, you know, you do have some companies with even, you know, chief accessibility officers and things like that where there is this growing trend of actually having you know support structures in place 
but you get a wide variety, right? So you do have people that don't even have anybody, right? So what's your usual thoughts on, you know, even getting them started where it's like, hey, you don't even really have the structure in place yet? Yeah, that's a great question. And that that's a daily occurrence. Um, what we really focus on for a lot of organizations is there's just really starting to wrap their head around all of this is hey, you got a very small core team of like-minded people that either have an interest or are responsible for uh, that that can become your center of excellence. And that's just a term that we use. It could be, you know, your champions network. It could be your your web team. I mean, it just really depends on, on the organization. But finding a smaller group of people and then watching the accessibility skill set grow organically through the organization by by really working with this core team it seems like it's been one of the most effective ways and as long as there is leadership support for a small team like that it's amazing what they can do yeah and i think that's the key thing to always remember is that you do need somebody on the inside you do need somebody in the organization trying to keep track of this in some way, right? Whether that's a volunteer, you know, kind of a group uh, to start with, right? A volunteer group that slowly becomes that center, right? In some shape or form, because I think that's where um, I think I've seen some where they kind of get it wrong, where it takes a lot longer to accomplish anything because there's no one really leading the charge. And so how right. do you how do you get budget for it? How do you get uh, support? How do you get uh, education? How do you get those things? So, yeah, I, I agree. It's kind of getting that, you know, someone to actually say, OK, you, you're helping oversee this and then hopefully grow that into actually something more set in stone rather than just kind of a volunteer system. Yeah, that's that's what we're seeing. And, and we hope that we can provide the right resources so that a, this team can approach it confidently going into it and saying, hey, we know we have the tools, we have the skills, we have great people, let's keep growing it. And, and that's really the key to, to the successful program. Yeah. Um, and that's part of it too, right? Is especially early on uh, as you're kind of, again, crawling into the space, right? Is uh, actually, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to experts. Uh, they have the knowledge right. sets. Uh, those companies out there that are focused in this space can definitely support you as you kind of learn and figure this out within your own organization. Um, but yeah, it is key to still have someone on your own side being able to make some of the decisions uh, because there's only so much a, a tool could just sit, right? Uh, if they just, it's like, okay, yeah, I paid for the tool. What am I getting out of it? Because it just sits there because no one's actually running with this. Yeah, um, and, and we've seen that happen in the past. We've seen that happen with our tools. We've seen that happen with content management systems that had to have enterprise licensing. So everybody on the campus can use it or whatever the case may be. And then you actually get into the you know, analytics and find out there's nine people among 40,000 that are using the tool. You know, So we don't want that to happen. What we want to do is, is again, we want everybody to a feel comfortable with the tools that they're working with and b really utilize them. There's a lot of good information coming out of not just our tool, but any of the tools on the market that are helping with this consolidation, whether it's the analytics aspect of it, the SEO aspect of it. Everybody has their own specialty. Everybody has their own areas where they excel. Um, so finding this approach to be able to address all these different needs is it's a, it's an interesting problem for us. And then, uh, you know, you're talking about education, about growth, right? So it's about better understanding everything. 
like what's your process then when you're interacting to get them to better understand accessibility? You were mentioning different roles, right? So how do you get the right education? How do you get that information? What's been your kind of process when you've been actually working with people? Well, it really kind of comes down to defining those roles, Nick, and they're fairly large buckets, but we look at content contributors, which may be editors, you know, it may be the administrative assistant, it may be a, you know, a grad assistant that's been tasked with something on a campus, you know, for example. Um, it may be that marketing intern that's, all right, you're now managing these, you know, 50 pages for the summer, whatever the case may be. So think about that group of folks that are really content focused, all right? They have a message to deliver, all right? Well, then you've got your UX people, your design people that are going to really focus on the delivery mechanism, okay? And this can be everything from those color contrasts to a company's color palette that is not even close to accessible and, and, and starting to deal with problems like that, all the way through to what happens when I click that link? What's the next step? So the UX and design people are responsible for a lot of that. And then, of course, we love our developers that can go in and really tie all these pieces together. This is one of the reasons why we're focusing so much on our integrations with site improve tools is a we're trying to move things to the left we're trying to move the the accessibility process forward by getting into it earlier mm. but we're also trying to provide those integrations and those tools so uh as a developer may be building out that form they have the ability to find out what's going on on the accessibility front yeah and you're kind of mentioning in the design space right moving it far left as possible, right? And it can even be right. before that, it's in decision-making processes. The business decisions you make can impact uh, the efforts uh, down the road, right? What third-party integrations you're choosing and and all those kinds of aspects are like, hey, I want you know a carousel and I want it automated and I want it to do 3D rotations and things like that. And you're like, okay, well, it's not that Now you you're can't. just poking the bear. Yeah. Now you're just poking the bear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, okay, all right, that has a lot of implications, but let's talk about that up front rather than figuring that out post and going like, how do we, you know, how do we work with this, right? So exactly. um, what other areas, like what are areas that you find that really overlap between accessibility and user experience and design? Like what are some of the common culprits that you're seeing from people in that design space, in the business decision space uh, that you're seeing in, in the industry today? Well, um, I think one of the things is trying to put three gallons of water into one, you know, a one gallon bucket. Uh, we're trying to get our websites to do too many things. Hmm. Um, it's responsible for our advertising and, and, and driving our marketing budgets. It's responsible for our revenue because we're doing online transactions, et cetera. So what we've got to do is we've got to kind of break these things apart again and focus on the process. How am I getting this person to put their credit card information into that shopping cart? Okay, am I make it, making it easy for them to spend money or am I making it difficult for them to spend money? All right. Uh, so we're expecting an awful lot of our websites and the complex design and navigation systems reflect that. Yeah. Not everybody needs to have uh, a slide on that carousel. They don't need to have that home, uh, that, you know, that one spot on that homepage, just because you're a VP doesn't mean you, you know, that, that you're, you deserve to have your representation out there. It really comes down to understanding what is driving the, business process behind the web and then and then are we utilizing it to its fullest potential 
Uh, and that's actually uh, pretty true, right? Because it depends on what industry and what you're focused on, if it's more informational, if it's experiential, if it's transactional, right? So your website, you know, and I've seen this where some actual like transactional where most likely users are just trying to get something done quickly. There's right. a lot of focus in the design aspect of experiential and like videos and all this stuff happening. And it ends up being more noise distracting people from the actual conversion. And that actually applies to accessibility as well, right? When you think about like cognitive aspects and then also just people on the web generally like to be in control of things. So having lots of animations, having a lot of stuff in front of people's faces tends to be, you know, more problematic than helpful if you're trying to be that transactional. Yeah, I agree with you on that one where it's just kind of like, hey, maybe we are sometimes making things overly complex when maybe simplifying it and focusing on accessibility for me, at least personally, I've always figured out that it's actually helped me simplify it and make it easier to use. The, the biggest trend that I saw in my many, many years of, of dealing with this digital space is that move to mobile 13, 14 years ago, whatever it's been now, yeah. that move to mobile really helped accessibility unknowingly, but it really helped accessibility because all of a sudden we have a different interface that we have to think about and address. And to me, that was one of the best things that happened, thinking about responsive design and, okay, now we have to simplify. What are we trying to get done? Yeah. Okay. And the from the cognitive aspect of being able to focus on one activity while you're out on that site, I mean, offer all of the functionality, but offer it in different sections of the site and make it clear where that information is. Make it clear where those photos are, you know, those product pages. Make it very clear. But if I'm here to purchase something, you know, that's my goal. Let's let's make it so that it can happen. So I'd say from from that aspect, mobile simplified things to the point where it was just put what you need on the screen to get the job done. Yeah, uh, it's been very helpful. It's helped us as coders as well to simplify the code and and clean a lot of things up over time. Yeah, and so that's part of it too, right? The trends continue to change. There's continuing new uh, developments. You know, there's always new things to learn, right? Uh, a lot of these new code libraries in the dev space um, as well. How do you help, you know, educate clients on like, how do you keep up, right? And because that also occurs in the accessibility space. It's maybe not as high octane speed uh, compared to others because again, compliance things just take more time to write out and put into place. True. But there have been additions over time as well. Well, yeah, and one of the things that we can look at, Nick, is going to be the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines and the evolution that we've seen uh, in them. Uh, WCAG 1.0, then it was 2.0 for a long time. Yeah. Now it went 2.1. It's in the process of 2.2. They're already working on version 3.0 silver. So what's happening is the evolution, even in the, the space, uh, the instructional space, is there because they're anticipating different, you know, thinking about different interfaces and, and how we, you know, interact with our machines. And all this needs to be addressed in the guidelines as well. So that again, all of the different aspects of accessibility uh, come into play at the right times, whether it is focusing on Zoom capabilities, whether it is understanding uh, a better process for building multimedia that's accessible, audio descriptions, live captioning, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, it really comes down to, uh, you know, uh, the impressive folks at, at uh, W3C that are anticipating 
what's coming in the future and trying to be aware and moving that forward. But we'll continue to see those changes as technology changes. There are going to be new considerations and let's let's watch how that develops or let's participate in how that develops. And I think that's something key to keep in mind, too, is that, you know, all this time, you know, we're saying, OK, accessibility, how it ties into everything. And it's not always something just to think of like accessibility is a separate thing. And it's just the budgets that you spend on that. That's the only thing it's going to resolve. It's like, no, no, no. It's there's so much overlap inside the user experience yeah. space, uh, it, the business case space that really just incorporating it in your process. Right. It, it will just make everything easier rather than feeling like I'm adding in something that really limits me. And then, you know, with every version of WCAG I've always seen where, you know, I, I, I have heard many people kind of like, oh, no. All right. What's coming in like 2.2? Do I have to like relearn everything? And it's all completely new. And it's like everything still applies. Right. So 2.1, 2.0, all of these in the two series still apply. It's really just adding some more clarity uh, in, that pretty much as, you know, practitioners ourselves, where it's like, I already knew this as a problem, but I didn't have a specific guideline to really say, like, let's set this Correct. in stone on why this is a problem and why you should kind of follow it. So if anything, it just helps provide a bit more guidance to everyone with each edition. That's why they're called guidelines. It's really there to to give you, you know, a direction that you can go. It doesn't say you have to do it this way. It may offer multiple different techniques for fixing one particular problem. Yeah. That's the beauty of having those guidelines is, you know, as complex as they are, they're also designed in, in that manner for a reason. And it's because it isn't about limitations. It's about creative solutions in a lot of cases with accessibility. But you're right. It's, you know, accessibility has become so much more than, am I going to get sued? I mean, for so many years in the accessibility space, that's all I heard was, what is the absolute minimum I have to do to keep from getting sued? Yeah. And that was the goal of, you know, the company on their accessibility initiatives. Now it's understanding the broad marketplace, the spending power of persons with disabilities, mm. understanding that persons with disabilities may not even know that they're a person with a disability. We're taking care of issues for them that they're not even aware that we're addressing. Okay. And, and what I mean by that is my hearing over the years is failing a little more, a little more, a little more, but you don't realize how bad it's gotten until you actually get a hearing test and maybe hearing aids. Yeah. And then it's just like the way that I like to explain it to people that are trying to understand like the aging aspect of things is it's like a photo that's a tiny bit out of focus. You can still make out everything that's going on. You understand what's going on, but the clarity isn't where you want it, where you turn that lens just a titch or you get into Photoshop and yeah. clean it up just a, just yes. a tiny bit. Then all of a sudden that clarity comes back. And, you know, so the range that people have of disability isn't strictly about, I rely on a screen reader because I have no vision. This is a huge, huge area. And it's a huge, huge opportunity to provide a, an audience and pro, to provide a customer base that is very loyal and is willing to spend money when they have those great experiences. Yeah, actually, I think that's a good point, too, because really there is an increase of uh, disability over time based around age, right? So with age, things, you know, eyesight doesn't last forever. There's, you know, eventually you get glasses, right? You're 
already using some sort of assistive technology, right? And so really, if you think about the web, right, uh, you used to can, can make an argument like, oh, only, you know, certain younger demographics are using it, right? But really, nowadays, it's it, all ages are using it. And the initial, you know, starting age groups of the web, right, where that would be their main thing that they would do, that they're aging as well. So those aging populations are still yes. going to want to use the web. So really, you're accounting yes. for that same market into the future by focusing on accessibility. Well, let's twist it a little bit further, you know, and let's talk about our silver surfers. I love that term. I always have, even though I'm getting there or I'm there, whatever you want to say. But anyway, uh, think about where uh, where the money is. OK, you've got retired folks or semi-retired folks or folks that have been established in their careers that are now traveling more. Maybe they are doing more medical uh, issues, you know, and dealing with that. But maybe they're living in Florida part of the year and, and uh, the Midwest in part of the year. OK, well, now if they're still doctoring in the Midwest because that's, you know, they're still their home base, they need access to records and things like that. So if you want to think about it from that point of view, you've got a you've got a richer audience and B, you've got an audience that really has even more needs than a younger population in a lot of cases to have access to the information they want and need. Yeah, no, that's um, I completely agree. So things are constantly changing. We've got aging populations. There's lots to do. There's, you know, keeping track of everything, analyzing, you know. And of course, more recently, right, we've got uh, to, to top everything up. We've even got, you know, automated uh, systems, right? So you're getting into machine learning and getting into AI, right? So what have you kind of seen in the space around automation and machine learning and I'll put in quotes AI at this point in time you know what have, what have you been seeing in trends up until now and and then we can talk about like what we think you know can move into the future of it well uh, I don't know if we want to call it controversial or not but I'm going to say controversially I've seen overpromising with AI the technology isn't there yet folks so be careful what you're promised because you probably aren't going to get it yet that said I'm seeing some really positive things with the capabilities. ChatGPT, for example, is blowing everybody in the digital world away with what its capabilities already are. How much further is it going to continue to go? Okay. But when we talk about like in the accessibility space and relying on AI to help you make decisions, uh, the, the, it's not there yet. There are still too many, um, decisions that need to be made by judgment calls. It's not a simple yes or no answer. It's gonna get there. If I'm still in the industry, you know, uh, 10 years from now, I, I'm really excited to see what the capabilities are of AI machine learning in the type of tool set that we rely on and use. But that caveat is right now, I don't think we're ready for it. I, I think we'll love to watch the progression. We're gonna, see the tools become more powerful as we go but uh i'm i'm not i'm not putting all my bitcoin into uh, ai at this point yeah no i mean if you look at it right most of the developers i ever interact with and whatnot and myself included is like okay yeah give me you know a breakdown of how to implement this particular you know python script or hey i need to set up this website or whatnot and and there's a lot of what they quote as hallucinations right and so it, it's not there yet. So if you were just saying, okay, take whatever it gives you and just slap it into reality, 
you're going to end up with a lot of holes, a lot of gaps, a lot of errors, a lot of things that are still problematic. And so at least my stance so far has always been a bit uh, wary of using AI for fixes, remediation, for adjusting things at this time, right? Unless you've got human involvement to help correct, right? So it's really, you know, a lot of times people fear, oh, oh okay, well, you know, AI is going to take everything over. It's like, well, no, you, at, at least in media future, humans still need to be, it's like almost like a partner rather than, okay, yeah, just let it go free and we'll see what happens kind of thing, right? right. You still right. need that human involvement. And and that's kind of been true, I think, even up until now, right? So, you know, there's automation already and, and I don't use AI, right? It's, it's just automation, right? So machine learning and there's there's scripts and there's ways of saying like, okay, yeah, this is probably an issue, right? There's automation and site improve, right? So it's the, it's already there, right? But you still need human involvement to kind of confirm, right? To say like, yep, that is indeed uh, what it's trying to say. Where, like you said, there's a lot of, it's not always yes, no's, right? And there's so much judgment needing to be made because that's where I'm sure you you re remember the, you know, the visual explanations way back in the day. I'm trying to remember what year it was when I remember when Facebook went like their image servers and their their servers went down for a little bit. So you actually saw the alt text of the automation of the of the recognition of images. And it was just as simple as like person, dog, right. person with dog. And it's like, well, that doesn't really explain an image, right? That doesn't that doesn't really help you that much. That's a perfect example, Nick. And and one of the things that we can do to still see that in action is we can rely on Word to auto-generate images. Um, it may say graph or chart, but really give no additional information. And that doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. It recognizes that there's an image and it recognizes there needs to be that alt attribute. But we still need to go in and make sure that alt information is communicating the same thing as what that image is there for. It's really easy for everybody to mark things decorative if they don't know what to do, and we don't want that either. And and that's something I think people may not realize as well. I mean, think about even, you know, it's not AI, it's not anything along those lines, but you had to have kind of learn how to recognize letters, learn how to recognize shapes, and even, you know, OCR, right? O optical character recognition. It's been around for quite some time, but I mean, that's why we can access the digital you know libraries of congress and things like that is because of being able to scan and recognize things so this isn't completely right. new except for now the machine learning is getting smarter right and it's there's a lot more that it can figure out and it's of course accessing a wider amount of data right exactly yeah and that's again this is the progression this is the evolution that we're seeing and it, it's exciting to watch it really is um, i've always been fascinated with tech even from the early days of you know netscape navigator and you know and, and trying to trying to understand what's going on under the hood even back those days it's really been about for some of us it's about watching the technology change some of us it's about helping the technology change and it's simply a matter of enjoying you know that growth and, and the power and the capabilities. I mean, look at what we carry in our pockets every day and the capabilities of the devices. Uh, you know, 2007, when the first iPhone came out, I think it was 2007, uh, we couldn't even imagine what we're doing with our mobile devices today. So that's the fun part of what we do. It really is the fun part, seeing the results of the hard work that folks all over the world are putting in to make better interactions. Now, I, I use this a lot. I may have used it even when I was uh, 
at the event a month or so back. Yeah. Uh, but it really comes down to we are writing instructions. Okay. We need to write better instructions. And companies like Site Improve are helping organizations write better instructions, which means the end result is going to be better. Um, my very first computer science instructor said, Computers are dumb. They don't do anything but read ones and zeros. It really comes down to us providing the right instructions. So if you really go down to that molecular level, you know, he's right. So it does, it, it, it does behoove us to be the ones that are writing the best instructions. And to do that, we're thoughtful about the process from day one moving forward. We're kind of looping back around here, but we see how it all kind of, you know, it, it starts to fold back together and why these things are important. Yeah. And that's where it's, uh, you know, the main takeaway from me is just that's why in the digital marketing space, regardless of industry, right, uh, incorporating that accessibility is going to actually net you a lot more in the long run. And then really thinking of QA, the UX, everything all together as a cohesive thing and kind of consolidating that so that everyone can access that information, whether that through tools or really making sure, like you were saying, creating that single source of truth and really just say the instructions, right? So like, this is how we want to handle it in our organization, how we want to handle it for being able to account for, you know, accessibility into the future, whether that's incorporating more, you know, machine learning solutions. But if you're doing that, again, more on, I, I, I see a lot of gains from the analysis side, right? From analyzing it with AI to really help save you time trying to figure out, uh, you know, where everything is at. But yeah, at least my hesitation is more, at least right now, is on the, the remediation side, just because I, I haven't really seen a major successful gains in that yet. Yeah, and it will be coming. Uh, but you're right, the ability to analyze that much more data and at least put some options in front of you is probably the next big step, you know, from our perspective, from our, you know, the fields that we work in. But Again, it's it, it's a growth, it's an evolution, and that's one of the reasons why we have so many tools rolled into one is because we're trying to find better ways, more efficient ways for people to work and be successful. So let's provide as many of these tools that A, share information, and B, can be shared across an organization. I mean, if you look at the ability to generate reporting out of our tools, and I'm not going into a marketing pitch here or anything like that, but having that information generated to leadership quarterly Having that information that can go out weekly to the folks that are maintaining the pages, it, it's really about knowing how to gather that information and then utilize it. No, that's good information. I, I could probably talk to you. I mean, we do talk a fair amount, so it's like I probably could talk to you forever. But uh -huh. uh, so I think it would be, you know, we got a lot of information today. We don't want to inundate with everyone, but I want to thank you for your time. Of course, you've been uh, insightful as always. There's still a lot to always talk about, but I think really, you know, it is about focusing on getting that consolidated source of truth, taking that information, having that ownership, and then, you know, having someone internally own that, and then being able to account for the future with that uh, is, is really key. So really good information. Thank you so much for your time today. And with thanks, that, Nick. I'm your host today. I'm Nick Goodrum, and thanks for tuning into the future by listening to Lessons for Tomorrow that thank you thank you for tuning into the future by listening to lessons for tomorrow podcast for more information as i mentioned check out the description of this episode and as always follow us on social media if you care to join us there i'm sometimes there sometimes not depends on the day 
and we look forward to future episodes. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm your host, Tim Lanius, and I'll catch you in the next lesson.